We're in the book of Jude this morning. Jude chapter 1. I'm going to be talking to you today about know thine enemies. Know thine enemies. Usually I would say know thy enemy because the, the devil is certainly our enemy. But he has a lot, of, a lot of fronts of attack. So as we look at this, I want you to realize we're going to be talking about some things that aren't necessarily happy. But they are what we might call, from a military standpoint, need to know. You need to know who your enemies are, as I do as well. And the Bible tells us in this book that we have a need that we had encroached upon Jude. He was getting ready to write. He wanted to write about the common salvation, give him a little bit of a primer and maybe a rehash on some of the neat things about our salvation, how awesome God is and how full and free salvation is and how if we know it and we live it, it'll be the blessing that we could not find anywhere else to be in fellowship with the God of the universe. But he couldn't continue writing on that on that note because it became necessary for him to write to them in verse 3 to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Once for all delivered. It's been delivered, folks. The mail is here. We've often said to people that if they had a note from their mom when they came home from school that said, Junior, take out the trash. Sissy, you go do something with the dishes, whatever. Get dinner going, whatever. If they did not read that letter, and they knew they should, then they're still going to be in trouble. They say, oh, I didn't read it. You know I put a letter there. God put a letter in your lap. But if you didn't read it, that's on you. And there will be an accountability for that because we are to be His children We're to be the wife of his heart. You know, the Bible talks about a man, the glory of a man is his wife. And that's what we are to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ, collectively. And our job is to want to please our beloved, betrothed husband, who will one day come for us. And let us rule and reign with him. What an amazing prospect we have. This is no small deal. Big deal. Big, big deal. Gets bigger as you look at it closer. And the fact is, as he says, now what's on the docket is you need to contend. And if there's ever been a time, guys, listen, if there's ever been a time we need to contend, it is now. The world has lost its mind. The Word of God is on the ropes because people have put out there 50 different translations. Nobody knows what to believe, which one to listen to. And when people read, they just saw, bah humbug, throw their hand at it and say, I'm done, I'm walking away. People have given up. Their, their lifeline. They've given up their ability to think with, for themselves. They want somebody to give them a McDonald's Christianity where it's, you know, fast food. I used to say, man, people are going to get to the place where they don't even get it wrapped up and just throw it in my mouth and I drive by and pay it. You know, they don't... They, quick! Give me quick! Now we have these things called YouTube shorts. They're all these little things. They're like one minute, 30 seconds, minute. It used to be 15 minutes. You could watch a video and maybe get it following. But you can't do that as readily. You have to have a bunch of shorts. they got to be on a one minute, one minute, one minute. The ability for people to give their attention to something is diminishing at a great, great peril to all. And so I say to you, we need to know our enemies. And it was Jude who basically comes to us and says, you need to hear this message. And he needs, to, and he wants us to know what it is we need to fear. And so these enemies are in the midst of us. He says in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. 
ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people, folks. That's what he says. Certain men have crept in unawares. Know your enemy. The first enemy we need to know are the posers. They come in looking like us, acting like us, talking like us. The next thing you know, they're saying something that is clearly askew. We have people across the world watching certain number, very limited number, by the way, of preachers today on TV and listening to them on radio. Very few. Recently, we had one big name preacher, Alistair Begg, who came out and said, you ought to go ahead and attend a gay wedding and, uh, and celebrate it with it. When the Bible clearly says you ought not celebrate or rejoice in evil. You can't rejoice in evil. You can't go to a gay wedding and rejoice in that. Those poor people are making the worst mistake of their life, practically. And so I suggest to you, if we really knew our Bibles, we'd realize that when somebody is that high up, can go bad in that quick of a moment, and then double down when being challenged on it, you've got something, uh, something going on in our world. So there are posers out there that will say that they've got your back. They will teach you the good Word of God. And they may teach you some of it, and they may teach you much of it, but then they aren't going to give you the real news. The real news is that the world has fallen. All men are sinners. We all deserve a godless eternal hell, and we need to get saved from our sin, because sin is what damns. That is the nut of the Word of God. Jesus came to make it possible for us to be saved. He paid for our sin in His body on the tree. He rose from the dead saying, I'm alive forevermore, and if you live and you believe in Me, you will never die. Those are the neat words of our Lord Jesus. This is a vapor. We are here for a little time, and then we vanish away. <clears throat> While you're here, He gives you an opportunity to catapult yourself up into the heavenly places right now. The Bible says those of us that are saved have been already seated with Jesus. Right now, saved and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look it up. If you don't know it's in there, go find it. It says it in Ephesians and chapter 2. You and I have a word, man. We have real solid grist for the mill of our faith. And yet, 17, merely 17, only 17% of evangelicals have a biblical worldview. Do you know what a biblical worldview is? It's a worldview that says, I've got to think about what I'm hearing on every level through the grid work of God's Word. If I don't know God's Word, I can't do that. Man, if I'm a guy who, who, who's, a, who's, let's say I'm a welder, I know all the things about the different gases that I need to use and the balance i got to have. I know the different kinds of welding I need to do. I know and I think all day long about my welding because if I make a big mistake, something could go boom. Okay. You might burn something down. You might hurt yourself badly. You see, every one of us understands what it is to have a worldview with regard to the small microcosm maybe of a trade. If you're a cook, you know you got to put in the baking soda, the baking powder. you got to put in the flour. you got to put in this, that, and a little touch of this. If you miss one, it's a disaster. And so it is, and so on. We have a God who gave us His Word so that we can equip ourselves to know and deal with our enemies. We will, we will understand when the posers come our way. The Bible says certain men crept in unawares. I think it was J. Vernon McGee who used to say, those are the creeps. Okay, they crept in unawares. 
I love that. I can't ever go there without saying it because it makes me chuckle. God has a sense of humor. You just have to read the Bible and you see some of the pickles people get themselves in and then God comes along and helps them. I mean, what's with the fish in Jonah, right? Come on, that's got to make you chuckle a little bit. He didn't die. All's well that ends well. But boy, he took a ride, didn't he? We just have to think, well, he got his attention. I wonder what he's going to do to get my attention sometimes. It can be something just as humorous. The posers are the first ones he talks to us about. He says there are certain men, not there will come. That's been said elsewhere. Jesus mentioned the fact that there are going to come people in those last days. The Bible says in Matthew 7, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Listen to this. Therefore... Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, the devil is likened to a serpent, right? So I'm going to be wise as a serpent. I'm going to have to get to know my enemy, not just know who he is, where he is. I'm going to have to know his, his, his tricks. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. So if you know they've got a certain kind of bomb, you're going to have to have a certain kind of uh, bomb to answer that bomb. You're going to have to know how to deal with the devil because you're going to deal with him. If you're a child of God, you're going to have to deal with him from here to home. He either gets you right out of the gate, gets you uh, what we might call neutralized because you don't care about it too much now. You've got your fire insurance in your back pocket and God doesn't matter that much. I mean, I like God and all and I love God. I'll say I love Him. I'm in church. I love God. But He doesn't mean much to me. That's important to realize. The devil got you where he wants you. He wants you to not think too much about it. Just, you've got to take care Just calm down. That's what he wants you to do. Calm down. If you truly got born again, you knew it was a jolt. It was something real. It happened. It was an event, and God changed your life. When that happened, you got a target on your back, and the devil didn't want you to get too excited. So he might have thrown something at you, a big stumbling block, maybe made something go sideways, and God let him. Not right away, but a little bit in there. You got something going sideways, and he was able to get a little bit of a foothold, perhaps. But you got to shake that off. you got to get back up. You need to start running toward the battle again, because this battle is for souls. It's for the souls of your family. It's for the souls of yourselves, uh, your f- friends, the people you love, your, your people that you work with. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul's telling the Ephesian elders, he says, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Do you think that happens now? Can you see it happening now? Folks, listen, people are being told, send your money to us and we'll give you a book and we're going to give you a book that's going to tell you everything you want to hear about yourself. You may have to know how to have your best day now and that's easy for me. That's an easy target. But some of them aren't so clear. If you bought books from certain people that have fallen in a huge way in recent days, I'm talking the past 10, 15, 20 years, people, big names in Christendom, falling. Uh, Rick Warren wrote uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Everybody loved it. It was a great book, well written, except he used a lot of stupid translations in there. I always told people, get away from the MSG, which stands for Monosodium Glutamate Mate in Your Food, right? You already know that. So if you see MSG on a Bible, don't, don't, don't give it too much credibility in your mind. It's the message. It was written by a man who, after he wrote it, he said, I never really thought I'd write a Bible. That's pretty much what he did. He wrote a Bible. And he took the real one and he danced all over it. 
The world has been flooded with different Bibles. We need to stay close to the original text, which is the Textus Receptus, which is brought down to us right when the printing press was built. God gave us the Gutenberg press, and then you had the Germans. Get the, they, the first thing they printed on that thing was the Bible in the average man's language based upon the Textus Receptus. I think God was right on time, don't you? This was what was there when it was that time. It's a big issue. God is never late. And that's something you learn as you become a child of God and start walking with Him. He's never late. He's seldom early, but He's never late. And so when you're looking at your Bibles, make sure you're keeping close to that original uh, text because there's a whole lot of controversy being thrown at you. That's part of what these false teachers do. They'll give you a text that will make their point because it says it in a certain way that gets you to think that they're the smartest guy in the room. And basically, when I give you verses and chapters and I give you Greek, I'm giving you the Greek. And I'm telling you, you've got to figure that out. You've got to believe whether it's true or not by virtue of, is that making sense? Because I'm telling you simply what it is in the Greek and then bringing it back to the English. Because you and I didn't get the Bible in our language. We got it in Greek and we had to get it translated. Now there's so many translations, people are divided. The Bible tells us that many wolves are going to go out into the world. And that was then... That was in the first century. Paul's talking to his friends in Ephesus. He's been among them for some time and had a ministry in their midst. And here he comes through and all the elders are eager to see him again. And as he passes by, he says, I know this, that after I leave. Guys, listen, there's never been a pastor I've seen that lasted forever. People die. And you're going to have another pastor. If you, if you outlive me, you'll have another pastor. I'm very trouble for my sons and my daughter, their generation, because the ministries of the world in which we live are changed from what it looked like in the New Testament church. The New Testament church came to church to hear about God. They didn't come to church to have a celebration. You're celebrating every day, folks. If you're like me, I, I wake up in the morning and sometimes I wake up early and I can't go back to sleep, not because I'm restless, but because I've got a song going on. I'm like, Lord, come on. Really? I, I, just right now? <laughs> you know? And that song's in my mind. It wakes me right up. And I'm like, that's a good song. <laughs> you know, that's what it's about. God keeps us young in our spirits. We're still playing. Church is not a time to play. It's a time to prepare. You go to church, you get your game face on, you figure out who your enemy is, figure out how you're supposed to do this thing, because Christianity is not a lock, man. You don't just get saved and it's all done for you. It's not a ready-made box package. You've got to get in there and figure it out. You've got to get the pieces on the table. You've got to get the directions out and ask yourself, how am I going to do this? There are certain men crept in unawares. And the Bible tells us in James that, uh, that a man who is a teacher is like a rudder of a ship. That little tongue can make a whole ship turn around, just like that little rudder in the ship can make a whole thing. He can affect everything. So be careful how you hear. Jesus said, take heed how you hear. The Bible says in Luke 7, 31-32, the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? And to what shall they be like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace. And calling unto one another, saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned, and you have not wept. The peer pressure is that we need to do church like everybody else does church. No, the peer pressure should be, God is watching. And the fear of the Lord tells me, I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't care what anybody thinks, except 
in that they think the right things about God. When they think that, I'm good. Tell me, man, feed into me. I want to know that because I need that feedback in my life, and you do too. And so I'm trying to get it right. God's on the throne. He's looking for somebody to get it right. And if you notice in your reading of your Bible, very few people got it right during any given generation. Elijah's out there hanging in the wind. He thinks he's the only one. If God was looking around today, would He say, there's one? Would He say that of you? There's one who's getting it right. There's one who's drilling into it. There's one I can use. Because that is not a lock either. Just because we're saved doesn't mean that we're safe. And not only that, we're sometimes not safe because we don't know enough of the Bible. If we don't know our Bibles, we're like a little kid with a gun. And we might hurt people because we're using it poorly. So there's a point where we got to drill in, allow ourselves to be the three-year-old, allow ourselves to get to the seven and eight-year-old, allow ourselves to go through the nine and ten-year-old that know everything. Dad, Dad, the speed limit is 35 and you're doing 40. Then get back to driving, right? No, you don't, don't do that. Um, but you see my point. When you're at eight or nine, you think you know everything. And you're going to go through that in your Christian experience. But then there comes a point where you drill down and you begin to realize there's a letter of the law, there's the spirit of the law, there's a, a, a fact that God has literally, literally taken every law out of the way so you can think about the task. Because you're dead to sin, you're freed from sin, but He can quicken your mortal bodies to do what He wants you to do. But if you just stop somewhere in your journey and get sidelined chasing butterflies... Well, then you can be neutralized, and that's what the devil's in about. He wants to neutralize us. This word here in verse 4, it says this. It says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained. It is an unfortunate translation. The word literally is prographo. You hear the word graph, which is like a picture, a photograph. It comes from the Greek word grapho. Uh, and he's talking about writing. He's saying, pro grapple. It was written to you before. You already know this. Jesus said it. I just told you a couple places. I send you a sheep among wolves. He says, you've been told this before. He says, so there's certain men that are, they're, they're crept in unawares who before ordained or who wrote, written about before. Peter talked about it. There will be false teachers among you in the latter days. And you need to be mindful that they will try to lead you astray. And he says they were before ordained, and some people would take that and say, See, God damned some, and he saved some. No, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I've got to keep pushing that back, because most of the voices you will hear on the radio are all about election and reformed theology, which tells you you have no choice. Guys, I would never, ever look somebody in the eye and say, You cannot be saved, because God can do anything. How hard is it, they asked Jesus, or Jesus asked them, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into heaven? Every one of us in this room are rich by the standard of the entire world, right? We got it better than any place in the world. You know, we got to take them all into account. Haiti, some of those places. Brazil used to be a great place. Now it's kind of on the ropes. Everybody's hurting. You and I, we got it made. We're not in masks. We're not in lockdown. We're not in fear. They're not harassing us anymore. They're putting up posters still, aren't they? you got to get in step, man. We're piping to you and you need to dance. And some people, sadly, are still dancing. Guys, we're living in that day. But the real pressure should come to us in that we have the fear of the Lord that says, I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. 
This past week I had a day in my class where I had two classes of the same. There were three, and two of them were taken out of play. So I gave them a Friday, and I said, we're having a free-for-all Friday. Because these other guys didn't get what you got yesterday. We're just talking. Anybody got a question about God? I kid you not, I had five of them talking about whether they were saved or not. How do you know you're saved? Is God going to take your Holy Spirit away from you? I don't even know. These kids are assumed to be saved, and yet, there they are talking about, how can I know? That's kids in Christian homes, folks. Do our kids know how to be saved? I remember one day I asked my kids, I said, you guys know my testimony? And they were like, uh, no, not really, even though they'd been around me, heard preaching, and they never really keyed in on the fact whenever I would give a testimony about how I came to know the Lord. And so we had a little catching up to do. So I got to tell them how I came to Christ. And every one of you should have a testimony that you can tell your children, and it ought to be one that moves you to remind yourself of, because if it wasn't moving at the time, it maybe didn't do anything real. We have to have a real testimony, because there are certain men who are going to tell your kids a story and they're going to tell them a story that's going to make them want to just sing louder. And when I say that, it's because today the story about gospel is worship is singing. That's not worship in the Bible. It is not worship in the Bible. Singing is never so. Jesus only sang one time in his earthly the catalog of his earthly ministry that we know of. And that was the night he was going out to be crucified. He sang in him and went out to Gethsemane. And we think worship is singing. No, worship is submitting. Submitting to Him. Doing it His way. Uh, the Bible says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and, and, and He will direct your path or He will make your path smooth. I can't, I can't get it just from singing. Hymns and songs can help, but they can also hurt. I was telling somebody not long ago, I said, you need to realize that Christian music needs to be rated in your mind PG-13. Why? Because some of the Christian music out there is not doctrinally sound. And some of the singers are not doctrinally correct either. And so if you accept their song because you like the beat, you might overlook the message which is subverting your true understanding of who God is. Is that PG-13? I think it is. Makes sense, doesn't it? Guys, listen. I mean, this is not, this is not safe down here. You think the devil's going to sit on his talents? Oh, well, they got saved. Lost another one. Absolutely not. He comes down hard. Certain men crept in unawares. So what you see first of all here is they are posers. And it says they were, uh, uh, they were ordained to this condemnation. You see that? Condemnation. Now look down in verse 8. There's a word destroyed. You see the word destroyed? Look down in verse 6. You see the word reserved in everlasting chains? Now look on down to verse 7. It says they were uh, set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance. What is that all about? These are our enemies. They're already as good as damned because they've already sold out. These are people and these are uh, other entities. The Bible tells us that they're opposers, but there's also the privileged. And then there's also the principalities that we have to contend with. That's the angel world. And then there's the perverse. And so these are the things we're looking at. We're looking at these posers and they are already entered into a condemnation. What does that mean? Jesus said, listen, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye be single, your whole body is full of light. He said, however, if your light be darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Because the darkness means that you have evil. And when it says, if your eye be single, it means not braided. If you came to Jesus and said, I like what I hear on one front, but I'm going to turn this, I'm going to twist this, I'm going to get it just where I want it. That is a dark eye. And we all know we have a tendency to want to make it braided. We want to braid this thing to make it fit and feel just like we want it to fit and feel. Those are problems. Because when you get there, you begin to teach others that that's okay too. You'll teach your kid that that's okay. You'll teach your friends that's okay. You're going to teach people who are lost that you think that's okay. When the things came down in the book of Romans in chapter 2, the Bible says that Paul was talking to the, to, the, to the Jewish side of the Roman church. And he says, listen, because of you, the name of our God is blasphemed among the lost. That's what happens when the devil not only neutralizes us, but mobilizes us to go out there and tell what we think we believe, which is many times braided information. I hope that sinks in because there's a whole lot of little nuances we allow in our lives that maybe aren't helpful to our testimony for Jesus. Do they call us Christians or do we tell them, yeah, I'm a Christian? Because they ought to be calling you one. Not you telling them, you are one. Somebody asked me, a Christian, if you're a Christian, I would usually say something along the lines, I hope so. I hope people see Jesus in me. That's how I would say it. I hope so. I hope I, people would see Jesus in me. That is the correct answer to that question. Don't tell somebody you're a Christian. You tell them, I believe in Jesus, or you tell them, I'm a believer in Christ. Sometimes I'll ask people, I'll never ask them, are you a Christian? I'll ask them, are you a church man? Because that's we can start a conversation. Well, yeah, I go to church or I don't go to church. I know where I'm at now, right? I can have a conversation. Why am I having a conversation? Because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. It's <laughs> what we're all supposed to be doing. Having a conversation if the uh, moment allows it. I'm not saying take all your time off your work and stand over here not doing your job. There's a time for everything. And God will clear the queue. I remember over here at GM, man, that, that line broke down over there. They were down for three hours and nobody was allowed to work. One guy said he was really pressed by God that he needed to go and talk to this guy. The guy took him under his wing when he first went to work at GM. He was like, he was like Skip, you know, he was a big guy. He was a big guy to this younger guy, and the big guy took him under his wing, and he was loving on him and helping him and showing him the ropes, and others would kind of, you know, pick because that's what you do when you get a new fish in the pond, you know. And he was, co co he was covering him a little bit, and he felt really guilty. He felt, I need to witness to this guy. And one day the line broke down. He had like three hours wide open. And he missed the chance. That next week, during that next week, this man had a heart attack in the, in the restroom because he didn't talk to him. Not because he didn't talk to him, I should say. He had a heart attack and he hadn't talked to him. We don't think of it that way. But it's real. You and I are the ambassadors. You and I are the ones. Maybe we're the only ones who know in their life how to clearly tell what Jesus did. The Bible says their condemnation, it says they were ordained to this condemnation. Why is it a condemnation? Well, the Bible says of the Pharisees, it says, you shall receive the greater condemnation. It's a condemnation self, a condemnation here. It's the condemnation of the devil. And one day when Almighty God says, depart from me into everlasting fire they're going to have that condemnation in space. They've got that condemnation going on. They're living dead men, as it were. The Bible says they are ungodly men. 
They're certain men, they're ungodly men. These are men, they are posers, they are teachers. They are people who are creeping in. And what are they doing? They are turning, verse 4, the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness literally means lacking self-control. Incontinence is what we talk. Somebody can't control their bowels or can't control their bladder. That's incontinence. That's what this word means. It means they cannot control themselves. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Isn't that interesting? One of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. If you have children brought up today and they have a little little uh, problem where they uh, are misbehaving over and over again and it's not something organic, but it's something, you know, they, they're just misbehaving and they keep doing that thing over again. They're, they're just not, they're, they're not, you know, if, if you know it's not organic. No, I'm trying to make it because we got all kinds of things that impact our kids today, whether it's food, diet, whatever, all those things. But if you know that this is a thing that they're just doing because they can do it and they get your goat, which is, by, by the way... That is their full-time job, to figure out what gets your goat when they're little, at one point or another. They're going to figure out who you are, and they're going to get you so... so they're going to push your button until you get right ready, and you go out and yell, and they know you're going to yell, now we're going to quit, you're like stuck right there. They stopped right when you needed to scream. Just one more time, please, just one more time, and I'm coming in. But they know, I'm just telling you, that is lack of self-control on their part. Because they need to be reined in earlier than they get you up to that point. Which means you have to not only learn self-control, but you'll have to learn controlling them. You see, we give our children a pass on every little thing in this generation. That's why they don't know or fear God many times. We're living in a day where self-control is not expected. They don't, they're not allowed to lose. They're not allowed to... Uh, be disciplined and so forth in our institutions of learning because many times those institutions are in fact petri dishes for social engineering. They're trying to make the young people forget right and wrong. And in the recent days, we now have the military that has also become a petri dish for social engineering. And so once, if you guys remember the TV show Ran Forever, I never really watched it, but I know it because it was there forever. Uh, it seemed like it was MASH. And there was a guy on there, I can't remember his name, but he was always trying to get out of the military by dressing like a woman. Klinger. Yep, he was trying to get out. He's dressed, I've got a mental illness. Can't you give me my, you know, whatever that article is that I get out of here? Well, now, if you're that, dressing like a woman, you're solicited to come in. That's who they want. Guys, I'm not kidding. Right? We are... This, this is truth. They don't know how to control themselves and they're being taught not to control themselves, right? That's what's being taught. And that's why we need to know our enemies because they're trying to teach your kid that. And they're trying to get you to dance too. The hardest thing that a believer will come into contact with many times is the fact that they live in a world where if they say the truth, it could cost them a job or a friendship. So they have to figure out how to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove because we don't want to lose that opportunity to win that person. Contending for the faith takes attention. If there was a war coming, if we just knew, let's say we just knew they had just mobilized 25,000 people down in Columbus and they're heading our way. 
We would want every one of us to get together. We'd be saying, they're coming. They have just taken out a couple small cities. They're coming to Mansfield. They're coming to Ontario. If we had that right now, we'd be looking at Toby and people who've been in the military and say, guys, listen, what do we need to do? We'd be thinking, what do I have at home? That'd be probably his first question. Well, what do you got? Bring it all into the house. Let's get some stuff. Let's get organized. Let's get ready. Let's get ready. And there are people more concerned about whether somebody's coming up from Columbus than they are about whether their kids are in trouble who are going to be put into a deep sleep of death because their spirit's going to be destroyed before they even get out of the cradle between cell phones and pornography and all the things. Before they ever get up with their legs under them, they've already been hit by so much. Guys, this is, this is, this is real life. This is the battle. Contending for the faith is the mandate. And he says they are ungodly men. That means they don't have reverence. They lack reverence. I remember seeing a man on TV once. He was doing the Lord's Supper for people at home, and he did it backwards. He did it backwards. He gave the cup first, and then he gave the juice. Or the, then he gave the bread. And it was like irreverent. It was irreverent. He, he wasn't even giving any thought to what he was doing. He was representing the Lord's Supper. First of all, it's supposed to be done in, in person. But even if you give him the fact that maybe somebody can't get out, maybe it was a blessing, he told him, grab a little cracker, grab a little something, we're going to do this. Just, I, I'm not going to squibble over all that, squabble over all that, but I, I want you to know it breaks my heart, the irreverence. When you have an Andy Stanley who's out there, I've talked about one, I talked about Alistair Begg, Andy Stanley's telling you, you don't need the Old Testament. You don't need the Old Testament. He's the coolest guy in the room right now. Even Dallas Theological Seminary, which has been a beacon of provision for pulpits across America, lets, to this day, lets Andy Stanley go in and interact with the students and have chapel sometimes. This guy said, we don't need the Bible. Better than half of it. You, right now, have creeps in the world around you. Your Bible didn't change. The people changed because the people started saying it's a business. And we need to get people in, so we want to make them like us. We don't want to say anything bad. So if they're homosexual, if they're living in sin, in mar- in, outside of marriage, and all that, and they're letting them teach. Andy Stanley actually had a gay guy divorce his wife, hook up with a gay guy, puts him in another part of their church. They have like five churches, a perimeter church thing. they got all these things. They, they do the video in, and they get together for worship all together, and then they have their separate. But my point is, he get, these guys are greeters. The two gay men are greeters in his church. This is Charles Stanley's son, if you don't know. And Charles Stanley never called it. Creeps. Greater damnation. They've already got the condemnation. The Bible says turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. I've said this to some of us when we were in classes or around Bible studies. It blows my mind that God tells us how free we are. Because he tells us we are completely free. We are complete in him. All our sins are forgiven. And if we'll just confess our sins and when we do stumble, he can, right away, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And when you tell somebody that, that's like telling a little child that everything in this house is yours. Now, mom and I are, we're going to go down the road to the market and we're going to get a couple things. We'll be back in a minute. We forgot we told them that without telling them. However, don't touch some things because you know that's for later and this is for they just they just got the memo in their mind everything's well there's the 
Oreos. There's the ice cream. And man, this is great. That's what people do with Christianity today. They take the gospel, which is of complete and total grace and mercy and love and good things for us. What a future we have laid up for us. Streets of gold, pleasures forevermore. Oh my, we've got nothing. It's, it, it, I'm just, we, it's called bliss. I mean, that's what we got to look forward to. It's a promise. I go to prepare a place for you and so on. God is coming to get us again. We're going home. <laughs> it's going to be great. But these ungodly men, well, they turn it into licentiousness, lack of self-control, denying. I love this because these words that come after this tell us so much about Jesus, but what they've done is so terrible. They deny. They deny. What it means is that they, it's sort of like if somebody's going up for a shot in a basketball game and the guy got up and blocked it. He denied that shot. Okay, he denied it. Oh, he was denied. And what I'm saying is that's what they do with God. The Bible says, denying the only Lord God, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, his half-brother in human-speak words, in human, uh, human terms, half-brother of Jesus, calls Jesus the only Lord God. And you know it's saying it because he says the only, not the only Lord God, and in the sense of something else. No, the only Lord God, and the word kai translates into even our Lord Jesus Christ. Young's Living Translation translates it this way. Um, they, it says that they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, perverting it to lasciviousness, and, are, and they do this and, are, and, and deny. Here's how it writes. he writes it with all the words in order. He writes it like this, and they deny our only Master God and Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you like that? Our only Master God and Lord, Jesus Christ. He is God of very gods. The Bible says in Rome, or Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Almighty. That's what he says. He is the Almighty. Isaiah 9, 6 as well says similar words when he says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God. He is God. He says they deny him. They deny Him, and they deny not just themselves of Him, but they deny other people of Him. This makes them truly creeps. Verse 5 says, I will put you therefore in remembrance. Now, he just talked about the posers, but now he's going to talk to us about the privileged. This comes a little closer to home, folks, this one. You and I are privileged, and we have to be careful. He said, I want to put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people, you might underline that, He saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them. That believe not. What? I know. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? But if you know the story of the Exodus, you know that when the Lord brought them out, there was a lot of complaining going on. And then they got to Kadesh Barnea, and God had them all arranged around. Maybe everybody chasing properly in their place. They should have been ready. They sent in 12 spies, remember? Only two of them came back and said, 
it's great, God's got this, we can get in, it's, the land is ours, God's already promised it, look at all that He has done, look at what He's going to do, it's going to be great! But ten, ten uh, spies said, no, we're mourning, and we played and piped to you, and you're not dancing. They said, we can't, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, and they decided the group, the privileged people who had just been saved out of Egypt, said, we're not going in. We will not fight. We will not contend. We will not. And he said, so God destroyed them. You say, does that mean they were lost? No, if you read the story of the Exodus, they wandered for 40 years and there were some great things that happened in the 40 years. Not everybody got destroyed in the sense of being lost. They got destroyed in the sense of pining and choking. They had to choke on dust for 40 years. There are so many Christians today that aren't even sure they're saved because they're choking on dust. They know just enough, but they got neutralized and they don't know what to do with it. They're in the midst of a stronghold and they can't break forward because break free because they don't know the Bible. Guys, when you are in good ground, that's when you prepare because when you're in good ground, you get your game face on. When you get the things going crazy, you'll have some muscle memory to know what to do. You need your Bible. This is not an option. When the tribulation comes, you can bet they're going to be thumbing and using the book of Revelation trying to figure out what's next so they can prepare because some of them are going to get saved right away because they're going to say, I missed it. I was a fool. I sat there. I didn't listen, I listened, but I didn't hear. I didn't appropriate. And here I am. Rapture came. I'm left behind. And it's on now. And i got just enough truth. Maybe I can build something on. And God's going to use those people for a minute because it's going to be the best preachers they've got is people who aren't very well versed but know how to find something. I'm just saying it's a real battle. It's a real war. It's a real contending that needs to be going on. He said he destroyed them. If you were to chase the word for destroyed, this word also means lost. Remember Jesus said, uh, it's actually translated perish 33 times, destroyed 26 times, and lost 27 times. Now why is that pertinent? Because lost doesn't mean you lost salvation-wise. It just means you've been lost all opportunity in many of these cases. Listen to what he says. He told the disciples, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we might be a lost sheep right now. You're a sheep, not a goat. Lost sheep. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Guess what? A bunch of the lost sheep of Israel came to Jesus. Isn't that true? Another place he says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. The same word for destroyed them. And he that loses his life for my name, my sake, shall find it. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. You see, we are supposed to realize that when we are in this world contending as the privileged, it's easy for us to think we deserve something. Give us water. We need water. Moses, come on. Bring us out here like this. Who do you think you are? He said, you do not cry out against me. You cry out against me. And he did it over and over. These ten times, God said, you have tested me. Stroke the rock and water came forth. We want meat. We've had been manna. By the way, cute, funny about God. He, these people go out and they're finding this food every day. Manna, manna, manna every single day. The word manna means, what is it? And they called it that for the entire time. Oh, go get me some what is it. 
And they basically got sick of it. It was sweet. It was like angel's food. It was beautiful, wonderful, sweet. And it was provided every day. Listen, their experience was lost with God. But their expression of God's work was not. Because all those countries who just heard what they did to Egypt were keeping an eye on that group of people for 40 years. And when they kept an eye, what did they see? They saw they got food every morning. When they saw them traveling, if you go do the, the way that they had to travel, they were to arrange themselves in such a way that certain tribes were here, certain tribes were here, certain tribes were here. When they sat down, they sat down and the temple was in the middle of it all. And if you were up on a hill, you would see a cross. It's amazing. The way that this thing was, on the landscape, they were still showing the cross. They were God's people. They were not enjoying their salvation. But God was still using them. And God was using them to show those nations, including Jericho, whose hearts were faint when they came across the Jordan 40 years later. And by the way, who was there on 40 years later? Only the two that said, let's go. How about, how's our generation doing? Are we all just in for the win? Are we all Caleb and Joshua? God can do this? No, I don't think so. Not in our generation. But we can be. We can be real deal Christians. We can say, I want the full experience of God in my life. And it's not what we dictate, it's what He does. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some have given all, but all must give some. We are God's people. We are His army right now. A soldier enlisted to do battle. We are told not to entangle ourselves, therefore, in the affairs of this world. That's not saying don't go to work, don't get a job. It means just be mindful. Your first mandate has to be to Him. And when those things, anything around you conflicts with His mandate on your life, you need to do what the children of Israel in Egypt or in Babylonian captivity did. Three of the, of the Hebrews did not bow to the image of Baal. And they got thrown in a fiery furnace. But they weren't alone when they got in there. And then not one bit of that fire lapped up on them and hurt them. And then you have Daniel himself thrown in a lion's den because he wouldn't stop praying. Our problem in America today is we need to start praying. This is the world. And I'm just laying overlay to it because I'm not trying to be hard, but this is the word. He says we need to contend because there's a bunch of creeps out there and they're after you, they're after your kids, they're after your quality of life because that's what we're after. That's what's destroyed if you don't walk with the Lord properly. Verse 6 says, And angels which keep, kept not their estate. This is principalities. We've seen the posers. We've seen the privileged. The privileged were saved out of Egypt. They had all this credibility, and they blew it. And so God had to destroy them for 20, uh, 40 years with a 40-year-long funeral procession. Sometimes they got big clumps of them dead because they were being stupid and had to have something break out in some fiery thing or serpents and the rod and the serpent on a stick look and live and all these different things we learn from they were examples for us. But these angels, they're that, that wow, that, that wow factor everybody likes to talk about. I don't know if you know this or not, but our Congress right now is talking about UFOs a lot more overtly now. And in just recently, the past few weeks, they were literally talking about how they know now that they're not from faraway lands. They're from a metaphysical level. That means they know they're, they're demons. These are people, these are entities that can change like Jesus when he arrived in a room without opening a door. He appeared. 
That's why it looks like they're moving fast. They're there and then they're gone. It's because they're not gone. It's, they just went on the other side again. Do you realize that the demons can do that? They can actually do that. The Bible says that they're, in this passage, in fact, it says, and the angels which did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation, which was to be not trying to intermarry with women, which is what they did in, in, in Genesis 6, and created giants and mis- manipulating probably the DNA and uh, the ovum, and they, they had understanding on how to do things, created a lot of nonsense that God had to do the whole flood for, to get rid of and re- do a reset. The Bible says they, they are reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Do you know what that means? That means they're there, but they're going to be let go. If you want to put in your Bible's margin, right, Revelation 9, this is where the abyss is opened and they're going to be let go. These are the worst of the worst. These are the guys who said, I don't care that God said I cannot go into that. And into the midst of that world, I'm going anyway. And they went in. Right now, the demons are feeling a little happy. And they're starting to show themselves a little more. And they're, they're, I had this mouse in my attic, uh, in my basement, drop ceiling. It was like that much room, maybe five, six inches. So I had to put a mouse trap up there. And I'm kidding you not, I couldn't get that thing. Next thing you know, there's about 10 or 15 of them. You could hear, it's like a stampede going through. I'm like, whoa. So I said, I got to do something about this. So I got this little little trail cam. It's really just for the house, you know, watch the dog or watch when we're away, whatever. But I put it up in there and I'm watching. I got a, I got it right on my trap. And this, this mouse comes along and he literally sits on it and looks at me and waves. It wasn't quite that good. But he literally comes up, looks at it, comes back over here and gets on it. Then he's touching it. One day he grabbed it and he's shaking it. But then there was that day. I got it, and I got it on film. I got to enjoy it. There was 14 more. We've gotten rid of them. But we had a, we had a bunch. I'm not kidding you. What I'm saying is, is you and I, man, we we got to remember that this is a real battle. And those demons, they're getting happy. They're starting to show, and this is what they're not supposed to do. They're supposed to keep their estate. That's why when Jesus came, they said, Are you come to... to torment us before the time, because they know there's a time appointed for them. These other ones, they stepped out of line, and they got put in chains. And then the flood came, and then everybody else knows we better behave ourselves. And how do they manifest now? They, they, they demon-possess people who are lost. And it can be celebrities and actors and actresses and politicians. They sell their souls, and the next thing you know, you're not looking at a demon, but you're not looking at a human either. You're looking at a demon-possessed human sometimes. But now they're starting to show themselves as jumping in and jumping out. And that's what they had these hearings for lately, talking about that very issue. Many of those people who are pilots said, we know what we saw. And it was not flying fast away. It was going across something, and it was metaphysical, not to back to uh, Mars or whatever. So I say to you, yeah, you, need, you need to know your enemy, and they are principalities. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the casting down of strongholds. Remember I talked about strongholds again a minute ago? The stronghold of somebody thinking, I can't do anything for God because I blew it. Or, I can't do anything for God because every time I try to do something for God, my world goes upside down. Rain on it. Take the upside down. Jesus is there. Maybe some things need to be turned upside down so that you can get right side up. You see, we cast down 
strongholds, it says, and we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ because the devil shoots arrows at us and what those are, are those are fiery darts where he's accusing us and those fiery darts, if it hits you, it's going to hit your family. It hits you, you're going to be in a funk for a week and the whole family is exposed to the funk that you're in because there you are being hit by the devil's darts. He's constantly throwing accusations, and in your brain you're hearing them, but you don't see him. So you're, you're fighting something you can't see. You need to know. You need to know your enemy. Posers. Privileged. Other Christians who say, you need, to, you need to have a party at church. It was never like that in the Bible. Guys, it was never like that in the Bible. They didn't even meet hardly at all in the Old Testament. They had church at their table. The dad was responsible. I tell you that because God tells you you're complete in Jesus. You can come to church or not. All I can do is give you something from a vantage point of spiritual maturity, having been in the faith for a long time. I can tell you what I've found out. I've gone ahead. I've seen in the land. I know there's giants in the land, but they're no problem for us. God's good. He's able. We need to follow Him. And that's my job. I'm to be a helper of your joy. That's my job. Your job is, as an individual, to follow Jesus personally as closely as you can and take advantage of every helper you get. If I was able, if we were in a military situation in, in, in an earthly sense, you'd want the guy who knows how to use the gun. You want the guy who knows how to survive. We had a guy here years ago, Greg. He used to be a survivalist. He, he knew how to eat bugs. He knew how to survive if you got in a place where you had to eat off the land. He was a guy who trained some of these people. They called him a bug eater, but he was the guy you'd want to know about if you were out in the middle of somewhere in a foreign land. He'd be pretty important right at that point. That's what this is about. The Bible says that these guys are reserved. That means they weren't put there to keep them there. They're reserved unto the day of judgment. That's Revelation 9. They're going to get let loose. It's going to be like the days of Noah. Demons and people interacting. Verse 7, even in Sodom and Gomorrah, this is the perverse. You've got the posers, you've got the privileged, and you got the principalities. Now you've got the perverse. It says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the, event, the vengeance of uh, eternal fire. You know why it's eternal fire? Because we know all about how they died to this day. Pretty much everywhere you go, they've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was it? Fire fell from heaven. Eternally, it's 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 a it's a mark on our psyche as a as a race of people. We know God showed. He pulled back the veil. He says, "This is what's going to happen to everybody who behaves that way." But Andy Stanley says, "Listen, let them be our greeters." Just saying. But the perverse are a problem because it says that they set forth as our enemies. Those who give themselves over to fornication. You know what happens? You know, in this world we live in, these people took the ball, moral football, and they ran it past every confine of decency in our minds. And we were all slimed by it. And suddenly what happened was, is that we thought it was okay to fornicate because we're not doing homosexuality. We like to just like, well, you know, step over that line. Before we get married, we'll have sex because they told us that you need to test drive the car before you buy it. 
You see, because they got in positions of power. If you ever notice in some of the most posh places, there are homosexuals. Why? Because the devil glorifies that behavior. And he gives them money. He gives them wealth and fame. Many times they're doing art. They're very artsy, make a lot of money. They become the queer eye for the straight guy. Fashion forward. I'm telling you, this is the sinister part of it. It's not just this person can do whatever he wants. And this is what this Barna thing where they said only 17% have a Christian worldview. They determined that most... Gen X, there's like all of these other ones that came along. can't remember which the last two are, but it's every generation since then, they're all okay. Mainly men are okay. Let them live any way they want to live. I tell you what, that's dangerous. If you've got a guy and you're in a boat and one guy's over there and he's putting a hole in the floor of the boat, you better stop. That's all of our boat. You stop them. You do what you got to do. You, you lobby. Best thing to do is win them to Jesus. Amen? Best thing. But what happens is, is that we get, we get superior and holier than thou, and we don't look at them as lost and confused and abused. We don't know why they became the way they were. There's a whole lot of factors. Many times people who go to homosexuality have been, have been abused in some way, physically, sexually, by their, uh, somebody in their family or in their world or some kid or some bully or whatever. It's what many times has happened. And to, forgive, to know all somebody said is to forgive all. That is partially true. We still have to stand against the evil. That means vote properly, campaign properly, uh, lobby properly, do whatever you got to do. But it says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, what he's saying is, is he's saying God knows how to judge people the way they need to be judged. The principalities, well, they are in chains. We all read about them today. We have the, the privilege, what were they? They served 40 years and all died. Forty years dead, all of them. They pined, they lost their chance. These are illustrations of why you need to contend. Because if you don't contend, you can see. You can see ground. You let them have it. And if you let them have it, they will take it. Our borders open. Guess what? They are taking ground. And these people that are coming over the ground are not our friends. They are the dregs of every other society. Africa literally had a policy. They literally emptied all of their prisons and sent them here. They are here, folks. They have told us this last week, they said that there's 36 states that do not have as many people in their population individually as what have come over in the past two and a half years. That means that West Virginia's got 1.7 million people. I looked up one. They got like 1.7 million people in their whole state. 1.7 million. Several million, I think it's like 10 now, have come over. Is that the number you guys have heard? 10? About 10 million have come over in the past three years. They are blowing the border wide open. We are being salted, and if we don't know our Bibles, we will be prone to compromise, to deny Jesus, to not know how to behave, not know how to act when things go crazy. I think we're going to get out of here before then, but that's pie in the sky if it all goes crazy. The first bullet that goes is going to be the one that's going to start something possible. It's like a tinderbox. Know your enemy. The posers. 
There'll be a lot of people when the rapture happens and they'll wake up and say, I was lost. I thought I was saved because I, I got a goosebump when I sang in church on Sunday. The goosebumps can come from a song on country music store. I got beautiful songs. I love country music for their love songs part. I, I'm a, kind of a romantic at heart with my woman. I got a good woman. I got a good life. God's been good to me. And so those songs are nice for me. I get a goosebump. But that doesn't make me saved. Salvation is not about a goosebump. Salvation is about getting yourself into the family of God and realizing there is a battle afoot. The Bible says that the Sodom and Gomorrah, what they did was they gave themselves over to fornication. Fornication comes from a word which is pereme. It means to sell. They sold out because they wanted to play around sexually. That's what it means, to sell. It's the word, we get the word pornography for it, which also means to sell. It's a, it's a word that literally has the idea of sexual license. It says they give themselves over to fornication. They gave themselves up. They gave themselves up. They say, I'm, I'm in. Put me down for that. Let's go. And every movie and TV show that has any kind of interaction with men and women typically ends up in a bar somewhere and somebody going to a bedroom. And that is the flow. It's like when I said, easy come, easy. You know that. And every time you watch it on TV, you're saying... Go to the bar, go to the bedroom, go to the bar, go to the hotel, and eventually you're trained. It's the world we live in, folks. They've trained us to be immoral. And the Bible says not only did they go fornicating, but then they went after strange flesh, which was the homosexual act, which literally was a bridge too far, because once you go that far, then you can do pretty much anything, because you hate yourself, and you hate your circumstances, and now you're looking at little children, and there's pedophilia. There were children in Sodom and Gomorrah the day that those fires fell. But those children were told, taken straight to heaven. They were taken straight to the presence of God. They had not come to an accountability, but what they were subjected to was a, a future that would literally have damned them forever because they would have been abused in those streets, probably hiding out all of them. The Bible says, Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He went right back to the posers. He says, you got teachers who say all these things were okay. I tell you today, you need to contend. He's going to tell us at the end of the book how to contend and what are the, what are the weapons, because he never leaves us dry. Most people don't know their Bibles, so they don't know there's, a, there's an end game, there's a, there's a goal, there's a place in the plateau where God wants you to get so you have your strength going on. Wouldn't it be foolish if God just got us started and left us floundering? He didn't. He said, here's how it goes. You start here. This is going to happen. You're going to grow. It's going to be hard. It's going to get pushback. You're going to get stronger. I'm going to bring some trials in. I'm going to temper you. I'm going to get rid of some of the dross. You're going to be pruned. You're going to go on. You're going to have a fruit or two, and it's going to be pretty cool. And you're going to say, wow, God showed up. And then you're going to have that for about 10 years later. You'll find out you don't feel him forever. And now you're thinking, God can show up again, I think. And, and you say, I'm kind of sick of all this manna that I've been eating because he's been good to me but I don't like him so much. This is the drill. And eventually you get to the place where you can stand on your own two feet no matter whether anybody likes you or not. Because you know God loves you. That's where we're aiming for. It's the thing you sacrifice for. Don't sacrifice for dinner. Sacrifice for the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm telling you, that's the drill. I don't know what anybody else is saying across the country, but today we're hearing the true Word of God saying this is what we need to do. We need to get our 
We need to get our own selves and our own houses in a place where they can be blessed because this world's getting crazy. And I'll tell you, I'm listening to the Christian preachers sometimes out there, and I'm not hearing them talk about sounding an alarm or a watchman on the wall, and if there's going to be a thing that could break forth in our world, and we would be, we're going to be potentially back against the wall from people from outside our country, and we're not going to have enough Bible to even put two thoughts together because we're going to be panicking. Get it together now. Would you bow with me for a moment?